Hey, this is Andy from the TGP Fit Podcast, where we discuss functional fitness, health, well-being, and becoming your best version. If you're looking to be your best in the gym, on the competition floor, or just in everyday life, listen in with Carter Douglas, the creator of The Game Plan, and myself. We'll be discussing topics and strategies that you can put to practice right away to build long-term habits for life. Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast. It's the TGP Fit Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Andy Crawshaw, and I'm here with Carter Douglas. And this week we have a very special guest, Rory Kinsella. I hope I said that name right. You did, yeah, well done. Awesome, <laughs> awesome. Uh, you're the owner of Rory Kinsella Vedic Meditation, which is a practice in Bondi. Um, and you also have a podcast yourself, Vedic Conversation Podcast. And um, yeah, we're glad to have you on the show, mate. Great to be here. Um, all the way from Sydney over to the west side. That's right. I think just um, yeah, before we started um, this conversation now, we just talked about how we, I think we had a parallel between our uh, podcast and the starting of them. We started about March this year, and uh, it's no better time right now. I guess it's because of the uh, whole pandemic thing, and um, especially right now where stress, anxiety, and addictions and that kind of stuff is a, a very important topic. Um, I thought, what better person to talk about that than you? So um, I thought uh, what we'll do is uh, dive deep into your expertise and um, go from there. But before we begin, uh, would you be able to give us a bit of a background of uh, who you are and, uh, and where you've come from? Yeah, I'd love to. All right, well, thanks for having me on, guys. Um, so yeah, my name's Rory. I teach Vedic meditation. I'm originally from the UK. And I guess where I got into meditation is I've always been a real overthinker and overanalyzer. Um, I come from a quite an academic family and we always you know, used our brains to figure stuff out. And I kind of coped with this in, in the past by drinking. You know, I was a social drinker and I would drink to, 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 to relax at the end of the week and to relax at the end of the day. And that worked for, for many years. That worked in my 20s, which were spent in the UK in the, in the music industry and around the music industry. I was in a, in a signed band and I was a DJ and a club promoter and when I had to get a proper job I was a music journalist for Channel 4 which is one of the, the TV stations over there and you know as you can imagine alcohol's not just um, accepted there it's encouraged and sometimes even rewarded <laughs> so I was around lots of people who were coping with their overthinking with drinking and you know that I had a great time in my 20s and when I moved to Australia kind of carried on and I became a lifestyle journalist and would do these crazy things like go and uh, review bars and restaurants in in Vegas or go to a week-long vodka festival in New Zealand. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I reached a point um, in my mid-30s where I had what what I call my early midlife crisis where I realized that my kind of coping mechanisms that I'd used up to that point weren't gonna work for the for the kind of long haul and I didn't want to be like a 50 year old party monster so I at that point I started looking around and and seeing how I could change things I didn't find meditation yet I actually got into to exercise first which is probably relevant for you guys and I kind of had this you know intuition that the exercise would be a good place to start so at the beginning I couldn't run for more than like five minutes <laughs> um but I built up and I built up and then within a year I, I ran my first marathon and that was a real um, key moment for me where I learned that 
whereas before I'd been using, you know, alcohol and other substances to change my my mental state, here I found that I could use exercise to, to make myself feel better and feel different. And I had that experience of, you know, getting endorphins and getting serotonin running through the body and, and I discovering that we had this internal pharmacy that we can call on. So that kind of was my real start into looking at different ways to, I guess, develop myself. And then I got into things like psychology and neurolinguistic programming and kept kind of looking around until I had this mentor at work who, 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 who saw what I was doing and thought that meditation would work for you. You know, why don't you look into that? So then I kind of took this scattergun approach of trying different types of meditation. And, you know, there are, there are dozens of, or if not hundreds or thousands of, of types, you know, types where you uh, sit upright and breathe, types where you feel your inner sensations in your body, types where you imagine a ball of light, um, all these different kinds. Um, and I kind of got real benefit from them. But it wasn't until I found Vedic meditation that I really um, started loving it. And, and then it became not so much a chore, but something I look forward to doing. And I got such benefit from it that I eventually wanted to teach it. And I've been teaching it for the last four years. But yeah, it's just really helped me in all aspects of my life. Like if I used alcohol before to kind of calm my overactive mind now I find that through meditation I, I can do that and I cannot um, speculate so much about the future and live more in the moment which is you know what we want to do but yeah it's it's been a real a real journey and you know exercise is, is, is plays such an important role and when I have students come to me you know I get them started meditating but I always um, encourage them to do physical exercise because it just does such a, a huge amount to, to help your mental health like if you don't have the right body chemistry going around you you're going to really struggle like you can't think yourself happy it makes it so much easier if you're doing that so it's a combination of physical exercise with kind of mental techniques which is really gonna set you off on the on the right track that's awesome. Wow. Yeah. And it's great to hear that journey as well, um, especially that you entered it through um, fitness. Um, when you talk about fitness just now, do you recommend that that is, well, actually, before we even go into that, what is your definition of meditation? Because I feel like the audience may have skewed perceptions of what that really is, because there's a lot of, you know, people think it's just like sitting down and being quiet in a room. Some people think it's about, you know, listening to your breath or, and some people just, you know, basically just fall asleep trying. So what would be your general, um, I guess, your definition of uh, meditation? Yeah, great, great question. Um, so I would define meditation as, as any um, system that allows you to take your attention from the outside world to the inside world. And there are lots of different ways to do it, but they generally involve using some kind of an anchor. So an anchor could be the breath. You know, breath is probably the most common anchor that people use. In Vedic meditation, we actually use a mantra. So a mantra is a word or sound that has no meaning that you repeat silently in your head. You can also use the anchor of body feeling. So you can say, you know, feel the tingling of sensation in your foot, feel the tingling of sensation in your knee. Um, but what we're doing with all of them is taking ourselves out of our normal process of thinking, which is thinking about one thought, then the next, then the next kind of jumping 
you know, as we do, and instead saying, no, I'm going to, whenever I remember to, I'm going to come back to my, to my anchor. And that can work in any of the disciplines. But I think one of the things that people misunderstand about meditation and it puts them off is that we have this idea that it's about clearing the mind, clearing the mind of thoughts. And if you can't do that, you're somehow failing at it. And it's, it's not that at all. Yes, we're moving towards having fewer thoughts, but that's the outcome rather than the process. The process is just to come back to the, to the anchor, whether that's the breath or a mantra, as gently as you can and not mind about being lost in thought. Because, you know, like if I tell you not to think of a, uh, a neon cat, you're going to think of a, a neon cat. You know, you can't control your mind like that. And if you, if you, if you try to, you'll quickly be um, put off. And that's, that's what makes people, people who kind of just try it out or they, you know, they read something or they, you know, try one guided meditation, they miss that there are these kind of counterintuitive things about meditation, like you can't control your mind and you shouldn't try to, we're just guiding it gently back. Um, and that thoughts in meditation aren't bad. You're, you're, normally you're just putting information in just, you know, thousands and millions of bits of information all day long. And all we're doing with meditation is we're stopping and saying, right, I'm going to close my eyes and allow that to process. And as that processes, you'll find yourself thinking. Um, and people say things like, yeah, running is my meditation or rock climbing is my meditation. And that's kind of all good. Those things can be meditative, but you really need to have your eyes closed and be sitting down, not kind of involved in any activity to, to be properly meditation, kind of formal meditation. But of course, you can, you can do mindful running or mindful you know, weights at the gym where you're just trying to um, not entertain kind of thoughts or we often default to daydreaming or wondering what's going to happen tomorrow or you know whatever it might be worrying about the news um, and instead you, you say well whenever I remember to I'm just going to come back to the actual experience I'm, I'm having so if I'm running it would be you know feel um, my feet touching the ground or feel the wind feel the sun kind of beating down on my skin try and be to operate through the senses so that's what mindfulness really is because if you think about formal meditation on one side and then mindfulness on the other mindfulness is a type of meditation but it's also a practice of while you're doing whatever you're doing whether that's washing the dishes or you know playing guitar or uh, having an argument with your with your partner <laughs> you can do that mindfully which is trying not to be in your head somewhere else but actually be in your senses so what is what are my eyes telling me what information is are my ears telling me what you know what's my feeling sense telling me i really like that definition of meditation there there was a few things that really resonated with me and just from discussions that i've actually had with others and like you said the majority of people who i would talk about meditation or someone might come up to me and say I started trying out X type of meditation or, you know, I started trying out to do this, to do that. The amount of people who say that they really struggle to not think. And like you said, it's one of those things of you can't physically just stop all of that. You know, when you are, you're sleeping. And even then your brain's still going, your brain's still working. So, you know, it's, I think that part in particular will help a lot of people. And I actually really like that because I've never really thought of it the way that you just said it because everyone always just approaches it as a 
I'm meditating, I don't want to be thinking about anything like blank mind, you know, if I do think I'm instantly failing and I'm instantly missing the whole point and whatnot. Um, and the other thing was the whole mindfulness versus meditation, especially around exercise there, because being in the fitness game myself, another thing, the amount of people I see who go, you know, the gym or training or running or whatever their, their modality is, they're always, well, a lot of the time they'll say that that is my meditation, that is my relax, when a lot of the time it could just be their distraction from whatever else they've actually got going on. And sure, they're more mindful in that state, potentially because the rest of their life they may not be mindful because they're just constantly throwing stresses mm. here and there. Um, a question for you, going back to your story a little bit here. You were using alcohol as your coping me mechanism for overthinking constantly. Now, currently, do you still partake in drinking alcohol or do you, or do you not drink alcohol at all anymore or is yeah. that still a regular thing in your life? No, so I, I kind of, I quit two and a half years ago and I, so I've been meditating every day for the last six years and over the first couple of years, I kind of started cutting down and it, it went from, you know, so it was for my overthinking, but it was also for, you know, social social anxiety kind of thing you know you don't want to be the person in the pub who's not drinking and you know it, we have this idea that it helps you relax um and I it, when I started meditating I, I needed it less but I would still do it on social occasions because it's such a key part of you know any <laughs> any social occasion wedding funeral birthday graduation yeah. especially with the Australian culture as yeah. well yeah Australia same in the UK where I'm from um, so I kind of kept, kept drinking, but, um, I, I didn't enjoy it anymore. So I'm, I'm in my early forties now and, you know, it's true what they say about hangovers get worse, but also alcohol affects you differently as you get older. You, because it's, we, um, react to alcohol by, so alcohol is a depressant and depresses us and then our bodies react to that by becoming more sensitive so that we can still operate under this depressant and they become more and more effective at doing that over time so it means that the effects of alcohol are less um, effective over time so it means that we can still be if we were drinking to feel less nervous we can still feel nervous through the alcohol because our body has become better at combating the effects of alcohol which means that you know, in your twenties, you don't you, you're still loving alcohol because it still <laughs> does what you what you started drinking for. But as you get older, it becomes less effective. But I realised that I was drinking mainly because of social reasons, just because it's easier to drink than mm -hmm. to be that person who says no, I'm I'm not drinking. Um, but then it reached a point in at the end of 2017 when I went on this week long amazing meditation retreat in in Mexico and that was enough of a break for me to realize hey I've been avoiding social occasions because I didn't want to drink but who knew you could actually go to a social occasion and not drink <laughs> <laughs> so I just made that decision and you know some people moderate and some people are more um, all or nothing for me it was easier just to be all or nothing but what I'd say to people about this because when you say you don't drink People often assume that you were, you know, an alcoholic or you hit rock bottom. But, you know, that wasn't the case for me at all. I just realized that the cons of drinking had, had you know, long been outweighing the pros. And that would be that 
I realized that I would spend most of my weekends in a hungover state, which meant that I couldn't be creative or I couldn't um, work on my business or I couldn't do, you know, all the things I wanted to do and those hangovers would last longer and longer. So it would be Monday would be a bit of a write-off, Tuesday would be a bit of a write-off. And it got to the stage where I just thought, well, for that high of, you know, three, four, five hours of fun on a Saturday night, the cost I'm paying for that is too, too much. And the other thing about meditation is that whereas before, if I was kind of in a stressed state, it would make me feel better. After meditating for a couple of years, I, I, my normal default state was kind of happy and not overthinking. So then it meant that when I was drinking, it was pulling me down from this good feeling. So then it became much easier because it wasn't like I was doing, you know, giving up wasn't something um, that didn't have a clear benefit because it, it was, you know, alcohol was making me feel groggy and tired um, because I was feeling good anyway. So it was a kind of gradual process. But then since I I stopped, I kind of, I've, I've kind of really enjoyed it, but, but also found that talking about alcohol is, is, a really effective way to, to, to reach lots of people because if you start saying meditation, you know, 80% of people are going to switch off because they're like, yeah, boring, nothing to do with me. Whereas, you know, in Australian culture, probably 90% of people drink. So, and probably, you know, over half of them would probably rather drink less. So it's, it's, it's something that is, is, yeah, in, in a lot of people's uh, mind. So helps me kind of talk about meditation more through the lens of alcohol. Yeah, it's awesome. That's cool. And it's, it's very interesting because like, yeah, alcohol, especially in our culture is, is glorified. But the issue I've always seen is like, how do you try to even talk to someone about meditation? Um, even though it's through alcohol, how do you kind of explain to them that, well, the effects of meditation over a long period of time is actually way more beneficial and you'll feel way more better. But right now, the drink is a lot more appealing. How do you communicate that to uh, the people out there that drink on a regular basis? Yeah, well, what I've found is, is, has been successful is I just, I just tell my story. So, Because I, I used to be a, a journalist, as I mentioned. So throughout my giving up process, I just wrote, like I wrote an article for 100 days of not drinking. I wrote one for six months, 12 months, 18 months, etc., and I just said what it was like for me. I'd say, hey, I used to not like waking up hungover on a Saturday. I used to feel that I would waste, you know, so getting drunk every week, which I would do one or two times. So that's between 50 and 100 write-off days <laughs> um, a year, right? You add that up, that's a lot pretty fast. <laughs> yeah, so that's, you know, that's almost a, th a third of your life. <laughs> um, so... You know, I just talked about it in, in my experience and I said, would saying things like, yeah, I loved having my weekends back. There's nothing better than waking up on a Sunday without a hangover and being like, you know, it's, you're able to have relaxing time, not I'm going to order three pizzas and, you know, watch, watch The Lion King four times because that's <laughs> all I'm able to do, which is what my old housemate used to do. Um, <laughs> but But also, yeah, realizing that, the things that, because when people think about giving up drinking, you know, we've just had Dry July, it's seen as being this kind of 
um, it's something that's bad and that you're going to be missing out on stuff. And this is because, you know, we associate alcohol with, with lots of things which are, which are fun anyway. Like hanging out with your friends is fun anyway. You just happen to associate it with drinking because you always drink while doing it. But you can still hang out with your friends and still have that good, good time if you've, if you've got rid of the thought that the problem people have is they think, I can't have fun without alcohol. And you know, if whatever you believe is true, you know, if you believe you can or you believe you can't, it's true. So if you're thinking, I can't have fun without drinking, then you will not be able to. But if you get past that and think, you know, maybe I could have fun without drinking, then, then you can. But it means that, you know, your social life does change. So on, a, on an evening out, it will be like 9 30 10 o'clock and i'll be like right see ya <laughs> see ya, everyone which is which is good which means that i'm not out till three four in the morning like i used to be and it means that i can do whatever i want on a sunday and and that works for for fitness goals as well like that you know there would be lots of research that shows how you know how much alcohol sets you back in your in your fitness goals as anyone who's you know been to the gym or gone for a run on a hangover would 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 tell you like it yeah. um it's and it also puts your body under lots of stress like your your liver will be under tremendous stress just coping with getting rid of alcohol which you know is is, is a poison um and if you're you know moving around a lot you know i used to do marathon training on a hangover which i'm sure is not recommended by <laughs> any doctor that would not have been fun <laughs> Yeah, I can, um, I can actually relate there, especially with the fitness side of things. So I used to, in my teenage years, I used to like having a fair few drinks with friends and everything like that. I started at the gym and just naturally I was busy at the gym constantly and just didn't, I just naturally stopped drinking for a short amount of time there. Not for, not with any thought, just naturally was like, oh, I prefer to go to the gym. I remember there was one night where I went to a mate's birthday and I had a, it was a very good night, but I pretty much had a couple of day hangover from it. And it was at that point where I, it had been a while, but I realized I don't want to feel like this. I just wasted a couple of my days, couldn't go to the gym, didn't feel good. And the same sort of deal. I felt good about myself when I hadn't actually drunk for a while. And even for me back then, it was just a social thing. But you know, a couple of months there where I was, training, I was moving more, I felt good about myself. Then all of a sudden I had one big night, probably too big for what I should have at that time. And I felt crap for a couple of days. So it was like an instant thing of a, I don't want that anymore. And it was pretty much just like a complete write off at that point. Staying on the alcohol topic, I've got a uh, question for you around this one. Have you noticed more or less people, maybe in your realm or people who you sort of um, associate, not necessarily associate with, but deal with more so since this whole pandemic have you noticed more people have taken up well have increased their drinking loads or decreased their drinking loads or have there been people who have increased and they've wanted to change it so they've come and seen you about it because by what i've seen there's been people who have literally gone one extreme or another of you know i have to sit inside my house throughout that lockdown so i'm just going to drink all day every day and then others who have actually tried making the most of it so What's your perspective there in your realm? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I would definitely say that, uh, yeah, drinking's increased. So that's, in, 
just from hearing what my friends say to me, you know, around the world, but also reading stats, like there are stats that say that um, US sales of spirits doubled in April or whatever it was. Um, And, but that has also meant that that's pushed more people over the line of saying, I now need to change my relationship with alcohol. So yeah, I've, I've had lots more people doing my, my online meditation course, which is about how to, how to quit or cut down alcohol through the, through the pandemic. One, because, because of social distancing, it's meant that anything online is, you know, it's the only option. So that's become more popular, but, but people realizing that, um, yeah, that their drinking is maybe out of control. And the other point of it is that a lot of people hide behind the social aspect of drinking. So there will be, you know, maybe they would go to the pub with their mates after work every day, and that's just a social thing. But then if you take that out and realize that you're drinking on your own at home every day, then you no longer have that excuse of, oh, you know, it's just doing it for the social. Um, So it really... I guess it, this huge shift in everyone's day-to-day life has really exposed different, you know, um, aspects of people's behavior to them. It's like holding up a mirror saying, look, you know, you actually do this, you, you buy all this booze and it's just for you or just for you and your partner. And you no longer have the excuse of, oh, I just love entertaining or whatever it might be. Cause you know, that's, that's, that's been changed. So it's been, I think it will be one of those, really great things that will come out of the pandemic like obviously there are lots of bad things that are happening but the the positives in terms of things like more flexible working for anyone with an office job less commuting but I think also yeah people um, working out you know changing their habits because this has been a huge change in people's days so you've had to rethink your your daily habits whether that's around exercise or drinking or whatever it might be so I think there will definitely be positives around that but like, like you were saying a lot more people drinking during the pandemic because you know like I was describing <clears throat> drinking is probably the most common way of that we deal with stress and depending on how much you watch the news your stress levels will be going up and up and up. And, you know, on Facebook, I get notices when it's, you know, it's a press conference like three times a day and it's, it's, you know, multiple people dying in Victoria or whatever it might be. It's if you, if you, if you have too much of this um, diet of bad news, it makes, it gives you stress and then you cope with that with drinking. So when I talk about, diet um diet is you know it's what you eat and drink but it's also the content that you put in so i think it's very important for people to because you know maybe some of your people who are more into fitness will be concentrating more on their 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 kind of food and drink diet but diet is also what you consume in 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 any form so that's what tv shows you watch what news you watch what what people you hang out with and what what kind of stuff that they talk to you about that's all your diet and that's gonna um affect you and the the kind of more stressful things you put in so say if you only watch we were watching a netflix show called black mirror which would leave me stressed right Or, or if you only hang around with stressy people who are just unloading their stress on you, then that's going to add to your stress or, you know, your work might be stressed. And if you only 
you know, read news about, you know, news is 99% bad news. So if you watch a lot of news, then you're, you're going to be adding to that stress. So people tend to um, use alcohol to, to cope with stress, but it's really great when you can see that there's another alternative. So I, I offer meditation as a, you know, as another way to relax. And it's a, it's a more effective way of relaxing. It's, it's a natural way. So like exercise is a natural way to, to, to feel good. Meditation is a natural way. We're not taking this outside substance and trying to control ourselves with it, which always leads to kind of after effects. So, um, you know, alcohol's after you know, alcohol's direct effect is yeah it will make you feel relaxed but then it will make you feel more anxious afterwards when that feeling wears off and then the the kind of tricky thing about it is you then have another drink and then that makes that bad feeling go away and you're in this this cycle and that you know that doesn't have to be the alcoholic cycle of every day but it's that could be on a weekly cycle but what i really Love is is seeing that when people have another way of relaxing through meditation, that like you said, you just naturally stop doing those other things. So rather than being like, I don't want to go to the pub, like I, I it's bad for me, drinking's bad for me, you think, no, I do want to go to the gym. And it's that positive motivation. So within our motivational structures, we can move away from things or we can move towards things. And it's a lot um, more effective to move towards the things we want rather than away from the things that we don't want. Because if we're moving away from the things we don't want, it, we end up getting lots of guilt. Um, and that just you know adds to your stress levels. So when people want to change their habits, I always talk to them about setting like a positive goal. Um, so say if it was for fitness, you wouldn't say, I don't want to be fat. You would say, I want to be fit. I want to feel good. Um, and not have that negative motivation because then you're just reminding yourself of the negative. Um, but yeah, um, lots of interest in meditation this year, but also, you know, like the last two, three, five years, it's it's really growing in um, acceptance, which is, which is great because anything that's um, a natural way to achieve something that isn't a kind of consume a product that you know there's nothing bad for the environment about meditation there's no waste um and like it it it's not the only way to relax like it is relaxing to go for a run it is relaxing to go for a surf um all it does is it's the most effective way to drop you into this place of stillness and silence within that yeah you can get on a nice walk down the coast or through sitting and looking at the stars but you can do it more often because you need less props. So I can sit in my chair and meditate for 10 minutes or 20 minutes, you know, and that takes me 10 minutes. If I wanted to go for a run, that's going to take me probably an hour because I have to get changed and put my sunscreen on and, and do it and come back and, you know, shower and all those things, which means that it's more effective at doing it. And, you know, the other thing with exercise is we often will use it as an excuse to put more content in. So I'll listen to a podcast and I'll listen to a podcast on double speed so I can get more content. <laughs> or, you know, you see at the gym, you've got the TVs in front of you. You're not really taking a break from your normal reality. You're just um, imbibing content just in a different realm. So it's it's just this way of 
switching off and saying, hey, I've had too much content, I need to process it. And one way I describe it, it's like, so uh, our minds are like a, a mental web browser. So you've got, you know, Chrome or Safari or whatever you use. And if we've got a lot on, it's like opening up different tabs in your, in your browser. So it means that when you close your eyes, rather than it being clearing your thoughts, this, this thing that you think you're going to have, you're just cycling through those browser tabs because you've got lots of tabs open. But that's not a bad thing. The way to think about it is just saying, when you realize you're thinking about, you know, say going to the gym later, you can just go, right, I'm going to close that tab and return to whatever my anchor is, whether that's the breath or whether it's the mantra. And that means that afterwards you'll have one less tab open. And every time you do that, you'll have one fewer tab open so that your thought field meditation that you thought was a failure is actually going to make your mental operating system work better because if you've got a hundred tabs open and there's you know video playing in one of them and you can't find which tab it is (laughs) you're not going to be able to focus but if you have a thought field meditation where you've remained calm and just come back to your anchor every time you you remember to that means that afterwards I mean, you may not have had that enjoyable uh, a meditation experience or it's not what you thought a successful meditation was supposed to be, but your mental browser will be much more able to be focused and productive after because you'll have cleared out this stuff that's rather than it leaving it there, taking up processing power in your unconscious, subconscious, you, you've closed it down, you've attended to it briefly and said, okay, that's not important, that's not important, that's not important. Um, and having a way to do that, a natural way, just just changes the whole shape of your day because that, that that means you're you're always um, close to this point of going back to stillness, which means it's much harder to to rile you up and much harder to to throw you off your game, um, which is good for whatever aspect of your life you want to do. And it you know for me it meant going into meditation, teaching and stopping drinking, but for, for anyone else, it would be whatever they happen to want to do. It doesn't kind of change you into one particular way of being. It just enables you to more successfully find what you want to do and then follow that path. That's really, really cool. Awesome. I really love the analogy of the browsers as well because I'm a huge culprit of that <laughs> yeah. with the browsers. And with like, his actual browser, he definitely <laughs> needs to actually go through and cross a few. I don't know what's playing, like the music, whatever. Um, but um, I definitely do also agree with just having that clarity through, I guess, with that um, metaphor of closing the browser tabs because, you know, once you have too many things on, you can never focus on the one thing that is really, truly powerful to you. But I do find having conversations with people, sometimes they feel like they need the browser's tabs open, if that makes sense. Like they, they feel that, having a lot of things on and a lot of thoughts going on at once is actually, if, if not a productive thing, like an essential thing to success. But is there um, a different way of thinking about that? That How would you um, kind of approach that scenario? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a, a definitely a good question. Um, I guess the way to, to think about it is that there's a difference between stress and demands so you might, you know, thrive with a deadline and you might be one of those people who are not going to do your, you know, assignment until the night before because you need that kind of pressure. But there's a difference between, you know, 
wanting to go out for, for big goals and, and enjoying that, that having a demand on you and the kind of physical nature of stress. So thriving under demands is, is great and we should definitely be challenging ourselves and saying, you know, I'm going to take on these multiple projects and, then, and, and try and succeed at all of them. But, but what won't help is, is stress. So stress is when we become overwhelmed and this is a physical response so stress is is a chemical thing with cortisol and overloads of adrenaline which mean that your brain will not work as effectively as it would without them because when we are in a stress response we go into what we call the fight flight response which is from our evolutionary past where we needed to be on form if you know some um, saber-toothed tiger was chasing after us we need to be in the fight flight which means that we get blood flow to our legs and we get adrenaline so that we can run faster than we normally can but in our current you know 21st century world where most of our demands are kind of things where we need to think on our feet and think creatively and work out how to socially deal with people or you know sell people stuff or whatever it might be if you're under a stress response it means that your your prefrontal cortex which is the thinking decision making human part of your brain that gets shut down and instead you get the the survival fear center of your brain which is um uh in the limbic system and it means that you will <laughs> unless you are running away from a saber-toothed tiger you don't want to be stressed because it's making you less smart and unless your problems don't involve your brain then you don't want to be stressed. That, but that doesn't mean that we're all going to become, you know, like hippies sitting out in the forest, you know, eating mushrooms. <laughs> you can still, you know, go out there and, and succeed and take on more things, but it's, it's not um, kind of the stress that is helping you. So essentially, it's almost like every day, you know, we may not be aware of it, but we're, being, we're almost forcing or allowing you know, being chased by tigers being our natural state. Yeah, you know, that's what the stress response is. So, you know, you get an email from your boss saying, you know, why haven't you done this? You get that same physiological response because, you know, evolution is an amazing thing that's taken us from being, you know, monkeys to, to what we are today, but it's very slow. So we haven't, you know, our society has changed way faster than our physiology. So, you know, because that takes generations and generations and generations to... to to change so um i guess what meditation helps do is say i don't need this stress response i'm going to be come up with the because it's not about working harder it's working smarter so if you're stressed you, you may be able to um, motivate yourself to work you know pull an all-nighter to get something done but that doesn't mean it's going to be good work um uh whereas if we if we're relaxed and you know that that that's involves us doing exercise and eating properly and meditating and we make our nervous systems as refined as they can be it means that we're in the the best position to to kind of make the mental connections that are going to help us solve our problems because most modern problems there'll be there's kind of infinite levels of solution available and you can either get like the band-aid solution, which will work for a day until it falls off, or you come up with this amazing solution that helps you with your business. It helps 
your whole industry with their business and you know solves famine in Africa you know that, that that's the, the different levels of solution and if you're coming up with a solution when you've got 50 other things on your mind and it's kind of a stress-based one it's more likely to be a, a band-aid solution rather than this kind of more powerful more creative solution that's going to work more in the long term so that will keep you in that um that that realm of you have to change that band-aid every day which means that you're super busy living that band-aid life um and people get addicted to that as well because you know adrenaline is a drug and you know you like having that we all know people who love the drama um and and i guess what we what we learn is that rather than having those kind of peak experiences of of crazy drama all the time you you learn to live a more balanced life which ends up meaning you're more happier overall because you're um yeah you're it's it's a level experience rather than these kind of peaks and drama and that all over the place hmm. so uh, I hope I'm pronouncing this correct, correctly, but Vedic meditation is the sort that you delve in, correct? Yeah, so we call it Vedic. Um, and Sorry. Yeah, and so Vedic is, is, so the word is Veda, which is from Sanskrit, and it means knowledge or wisdom. Uh, that was literally going to be my next question, was going to be one, where does it come from? <laughs> <laughs> um, would you be able to, so I've, really this is a double question. Would you be able to, I know you sort of have already, but explain, first of all, how, why this one stuck with you after trying multiple different other types, but why that out of all of them stuck with you the most. And also just explain a little bit more around, not necessarily how it's different, but the process of this form of meditation. Yeah. Um, okay. So, um, so as I explained before, there are different anchors that you can use. So the breath is an anchor and <clears throat> many types of meditation will take you from your normal thinking process through the anchor into this, this um, neutral place. So if you're thinking about your breath, that's a neutral thing and it calms you down. What I liked about the mantra, so in Vedic meditation, we use a mantra, which is a word or sound that has no meaning that you repeat silently in your head. So you're, you're not moving your lips, you're not doing anything, you're just thinking this word. And what I liked about that was, one, it uses the sound sense. So if I'm focusing on my breath, that's using the kinesthetic or feeling sense. But being from a musical background, sound worked better for me and, you know, it resonated more with me. Um, and, you know, if you look at Google Trends, the number one, well, one of the top meditation searches is, meditation music and while you know music is one of those things which can be meditative it shows that people have that connection between sound music and relaxation so it was just easier for me um, the other thing that I loved about Vedic meditation is rather than sitting upright you know like on a cushion on the floor pretending my back wasn't aching which which it, d it definitely did if I don't have it supported in Vedic meditation we actually sit back you know like you're watching tv or reading a book so you have your back supported but you have your head and neck free so this just these th those two very simple things um just meant that I was enjoying the process more the other thing is that because when we 
think to ourselves, we're basically talking to ourselves in our heads. So rather than going from I'm talking to myself in my head to I'm focusing on my breath in my lungs, I went from I'm talking to myself in my head to I'm saying this neutral word. So it's a much easier like-for-like swap, um, which um, made it easier for me. So then the other point is that with, say, breath meditation, you're, you're taking yourself from your thoughts into your breath. The benefit with the mantra is that you take yourself from your thoughts into the mantra, but then you can also, it takes you a level further. So it draws you into this place of deep rest and silence within. And then you enter what we call transcendence or the being state. And this this is where your mind is so content and relaxed that it can't think of anything more relaxing than what it's currently doing, can't think of anything more satisfying, and it falls silent. So this is this is what people think. They're like, I've cleared my mind of thoughts, <laughs> but um, but you can't actually know that that's happened because as soon as you think I've cleared my mind of thoughts, that's a thought. Um, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, so it kind of takes you to this this deeper level. And in terms of of how you learn, um, it's been interesting during the pandemic because this type of meditation <clears throat> excuse me can only be taught in person so it's it's from this ancient tradition and because it involves sound we need to give the sound of this mantra you know physically um so it's it's kind of highly frowned upon in the you know this community of teachers to to te- to teach it online which has you know been difficult in social distancing but there's a real benefit from learning in person that I'll come to in a sec but yeah if you if you want to learn you come to a teacher like me and I will pick a mantra for you there are a set number of mantras and I I will pick one that will work for people like you I'll teach you how to use it Um, and we also perform this little gratitude ceremony for the teachers of the tradition and then yeah I teach you how to use it and then we have three other sessions so it's four sessions in person um, and it's very experiential. So, you know, you're not being asked to believe anything. It does, it's not, you know, it's not, um, doesn't involve you, you know, having faith in it or believing in it. It's an experiential thing. So you try out this technique and then I'll ask you about your experiences. And this is the real benefit over, um, learning from an app or a YouTube video in that you do it through a YouTube video and you think, right, I reckon it's this. And I haven't been able to clear my mind, for example, and then you get frustrated and you leave it. Whereas we would meditate together and you would say, okay, well, I got frustrated, I couldn't clear my mind. And I would say, great, that means that you're closing your browser tabs or or whatever it is, so that you then have the confidence that what you're doing is, is, is working for you. And if you need that confidence to invest your time in it, because you know, there's a certain amount of money you pay to a teacher to learn, like you would pay to a, 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 a you know, personal trainer or whatever, a tennis coach. Um, but the main investment you'll make in meditation is your time. So I meditate for 20 minutes twice a day. And, you know, that adds up to something like 10 weeks a year. <laughs> well, no, sorry, 10 days a year. Um, uh, and, you know, whatever my hourly rate is or whatever your hourly rate is, that's, you know, you're investing your time. So you want to be sure that you're doing it right. And it's like, you know, the best way to learn anything is to learn in person like I did 
tennis lessons a couple of years ago, and it's the difference between me watching Roger Federer's serve on the TV, or you know his backhand on the TV, or having a coach say, "No, all right, you're moving it. Your backswing is is things you can't see and you don't notice. A teacher can point out to you." Um, so so yeah, and it's from this this ancient tradition, um, and. Yeah, the guy who popularized it is a guy called Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, who is this Indian guru guy who was around in the 60s, and he taught the Beatles, which is how it kind of came to the West, came to prominence. Um, but he's also supposed, supposedly the inspiration for, for Yoda in the Star Wars movies. Yeah, okay. So, you know, it's, it's, right. it's Vedic meditation, Veda, and then you've got Darth Vader, who's like the dark, dark knowledge, dark wisdom. And the guy, oh, you know, yeah, okay. <laughs> George Lucas, who kind of came up with Star Wars, was a was a meditator, so he he knew all this stuff. Yeah, that's cool. He put it all together. That's really cool. Um, so yeah, I love that um, analogy as well, and all that uh, perspective. And just going back slightly on um, the stress side of things as well, because um, I noticed that this is more of a um, a personal question almost. That when I am trying to build a habit in meditation. Um, and I try to build a good habit. I'm going for weeks and weeks, and suddenly a stressful uh, scenario comes up, and that kind of breaks the entire thing. It kind of like the stress sort of overwrites the habit itself, and then I can then drop a, a ten week habit down to nothing for for weeks and end. Now, I guess you kind of explained it a little bit that you know in person you get to build the goals and the um, the success of the habit because you know exactly uh, what's doing and it's working, but for someone who may want to start a habit, what would be the best um, place to start? Yeah, so I mean, <clears throat> habit building is a very interesting, you know, part of this. So what I found is the first couple of years I was teaching, I was just teaching the actual technique. Um, but I, I realized that everyone gets the technique after four sessions, everyone gets the technique, but, you know, different people need different help to build a habit out of it. So I use this, this, this system, which is called the four, four tendencies. It's by this lady called Gretchen Rubin, and it tells you what your habit building personality is. And I discovered that mine is called the upholder, which means that I can easily stick to habits, um, which is great for learning to meditate, but it was also bad for being a drinker. And I used to be a smoker. Like you, it's, it's, it works for good and bad habits. Um, but I found that you know most people fall into these two other categories, which are one's called the obliger, which means that they'll readily meet external expectations. So if you're an obliger, it really helps if you've got, say, a gym buddy, because you know that you're going to have to go to the gym because they're they're going to be there and they're going to be you know calling you because you're not there. Um, or you're a questioner, and the questioner means you'll happily do your habit, but you'll question it every time. So you'll be like, shall I do this other thing or shall I do this? And, and then the fourth one is the rebel, which will, who rebels against you know, internal and external expectations. But for all the habits, it's really having your, your clear idea of why you're doing something and having that really clear. So rather than just going, I'm meditating because I know that it's good, or you know the Harvard Business Review says that CEOs do it, or whatever it might be. You say no, I'm doing it 
for my particular reason, whatever that, you know, that's going to be different for everyone. And the clearer you are on that goal, which would be the same for any kind of physical training goals, you're clear on what that goal is. It means that you're more likely to make that positive decision. And then the other te- the technique that I suggest or the other strategy is that you make it non-negotiable. So rather than going, you know, I'm going to do this if I've got time, you say, I'm going to do it no matter what. And it, you know, if I only manage to do it for 10 minutes instead of 20 or five minutes, I'm still going to do it. So I've ticked that box so that then if it's non-negotiable, it's going to happen. And if you do happen to miss a day, you say, I've missed one, but I'm not going to miss two. So you don't back it up. So you go, right. Because you also don't want to add in that guilt of I've missed one. And then you kind of feel bad about it. You say, I've missed one. I'm, I'm never going to miss two. So then that kind of helps, you know, they say don't break the chain. So they're like, you know, it's like putting a cross in your, on your, on your physical calendar saying, right, well, I want it. Want this to, to keep going, and there are apps that um, kind of help that. So I use Insight Timer, which is a free meditation app, and it will say you've meditated for five days in a row. That's your streak, or you've done it for ten days, or a hundred days, or five hundred days, and then it's like, well, I don't want to lose my streak. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so you Absolutely. keep going. Yeah. Um, on that, actually, so. We've talked about how meditation is a great way to basically, uh, as the internal pharmacy, replacing those external drugs. And then there's people that may necessarily not have any um, addictions or, I guess, uh, bad addictions, quote unquote. But how about the people who are a little bit more advanced in meditating or they feel that they uh, want to add meditation into their life? What would be a long-term goal? Because I see a lot of people look into meditation as a way to reach a level of um real mindfulness or samadhi or something like that is that essentially the goal for anyone or is that almost unrealistic yeah like okay so if if you want to go to the the kind of broader aspect of it then we're talking about we're talking about enlightenment and we're saying that we want to move towards this state of being fully realized or fully enlightened but rather than seeing as that as being um, you know, completely unachievable or like a, an on-off switch where you go, right, you've got the Buddha or you've got nothing. You see it more as being like a percentage um, meter, which is kind of going up and down every day. So say if I've been on a week-long meditation retreat, I might be at 87% enlightened. And being enlightened just means that you're aware of your position and your individuality, but you're also fully aware that you're connected to everything else in the universe everything else all other people because you visit this place inside which is you know in yoga they say namaste which is the light in me bows to the light in you and there's this idea that we're all made of this consciousness that underlies everything we're all part of this oneness which is backed up by you know theoretical physics ideas about the unified field so there's, there's that, right? But rather than thinking, you know, I won't ever be able to get to that, you think, well, that's 100% enlightened, but I can be, after my week-long meditation retreat, I could be 87%, and that will stay for a while. Whereas if I don't go to bed for two nights at a music festival, I may be 7% enlightened because I'm not in touch with that part of my... Um, those, that, that kind of wavelength, because I'm, I'm full of this you know, tiredness and stress chemicals. So it's about thinking 
um, how to be more in touch with that part of yourself more often rather than thinking this is an unattainable thing. It's, it's, it's a slow evolutionary progress. And it's like we, we all get wiser as we get older anyway. You're kind of taking control. Yeah, so the only thing that's going on is evolution. And it, meditation is a tool to speed up your evolution. And your evolution is towards a realization that, you know, we are all one. And the universe is all one. And, you know, that's a kind of, it's, that doesn't mean anything, right? But that only means something if you, if, you, if you live it. So people who are enlightened can live that while, you know, they're under extreme circumstances. So I could, I could feel that after my meditation retreat, but I'm not going to feel that if like a policeman's got me pinned down on the floor for, for something I didn't, I didn't do. Whereas you get someone like the Dalai Lama who still hold, has that, you know, point of view, even though, you know, he's been kicked out of his country and he's been in exile for, like he doesn't hate his enemies. It's being able to maintain that oneness regardless of what's going on. But we all kind of dip in and out of it, but it's about meditation will let you be more consistently like that. That's awesome. It's crazy how that is like a great path to actually walk and it doesn't really mean that you're, you know, not being a, a business person or a, a a student or anything like that. It's just a way of living really. And there's some great potentials. And I love that uh, perspective on evolution as well. You can become a much more different, not a different person, a version of yourself, but a more, um, I aware. guess, aware, yeah, aware, conscious version. But that's awesome. And Hey, Rory, thanks so much for sharing all that, by the way, because that is amazing stuff. Um, usually we ask our um, guests these three last questions that they're going to be a little bit, we haven't repa- uh, prepared you for these. So um, I hope these aren't too difficult, but the, but the way you speak, you're going to be fine. <laughs> um, so the first question is, you got to relive a moment in your life. Which moment would you choose and what would you change about it if you could? Really good question. Um, if I got to relive a moment and change something, did you say? You don't have to. You don't have to. Ooh, I guess maybe I'd pick something freaky, like, because I don't... So what I get, what I like about, um, kind of exploring the past is we can't, we can't change the kind of physical, you know, actual events that happen, but we can change our meaning about them. So that's why, because I kind of teach this as well, like we don't have to change the actual event. You just change, you don't change the plot, you change the storyline. So you go, you know, that relationship may have ended, but rather than seeing that as a disaster, I kind of see it as um, something positive that's made me stronger. But yeah, if you want an actual event, maybe I'd go to something that I don't have access to. So like being in the womb or being born, you know, because it's so far back. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I like that. Maybe I would have made more of an entrance, like come out and just <laughs> say a sentence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that is wise. I like that. Yeah, that's a good thought process around all of that. So I actually do like that. All right, question number two yourself from 10 years from now knocks on your front door, you open it. What advice do they give you? Okay, the advice my future self would give me would be um, don't worry, it's going to happen. It's like stop stressing. 
you know, to a meditation teacher, but yeah, you know, yeah. things are happening at the pace they should happen. Everything is as it should be. Enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Love that. And the last question. Um, and so what basically is going to be your game plan moving forward in life? My game plan um, is to, yeah, keep, keep teaching this meditation technique that I've had such benefit from keep helping other people you know raise their conscious state um, and and power through their their evolution and yeah try and be as authentic as I can in sharing my story and, and helping people you know develop themselves and enjoy their lives more that is beautiful you do good on the fly you do very good on the fly <laughs> Some people love being on the fly like that. Some people, like, they need a, you know, a week in advance preparation. So well done there. Well done. All right. Awesome. Well, yeah. the other option you gave me was to think about it while we were speaking, which probably would have been distracting. So That's yeah. what I was thinking when Andy <laughs> offered it. I was literally thinking in my head, like, don't do that because then you'd, you won't be thinking about what yeah, we're talking about. I'll be about. like, should I go for the birth? That sounds weird. Maybe I won't <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Awesome. Thanks heaps for coming on. Thanks heaps for sharing that. I really enjoyed this chat. Yeah. So before we do close up for today, um, if you have anything, so actually where can people reach you, first of all? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram, Rory Kinsella Meditation. Um, and if you're interested in, I have an online course in how to quit alcohol with meditation, which is We Meditate to Quit Alcohol. You can Google that. Um, or if for people in Sydney, you can um, come and learn with me in Bondi Junction. So that's Rory Kinsella Meditation. But yeah, if you Google Rory Kinsella, you'll, you'll find all of my offerings. Awesome. We will link all of that in our, in our description there as well. And we'll also link your podcast as well. That's the, the Vedic Conversation Podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Tune in. <laughs> We're just coming yes. to the end of the first series, but yeah, it's been fun. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks heaps for coming on board. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't mind actually chat, uh, catching up with you another time and having another chat because it's been fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'd so, love yeah. to come back. So that was an awesome conversation there around meditation and how that can actually benefit you with Rory Kinsella. Thanks heaps for listening, guys. Now, if you did enjoy that podcast, make sure that you do take a screenshot of yourself listening to it, chuck it on the social media, any form of that. We very much appreciate you guys actually sharing this because we want to get this out to as many people as possible and help as many people as possible. So thanks for listening, guys. This is your host, Carter Douglas. And Andy, we'll catch you next week in the podcast. See ya. See you guys.